Okay, so I forgot to mention this when I was talking to you guys about Josh. Let me start my clock so I don't go too long today. Um, I forgot to mention this to you. The, a lot of you guys do your giving and stuff through the website online. That's super helpful. It's great. But there's a different fund that we set up. It's called Give Love Anthem Denver Church Plant, okay? Please start praying about it right now, like what God would have you to contribute to this. Um, and you can give any time that you want leading up to the 20th. Um, the 20th is just going to kind of be the big celebratory gathering that we have where we'll announce what's been raised and that kind of thing. Um, but you can give prior to that. I just wanted to make you, uh, make you aware of that, okay? So this morning, go ahead and grab your Bibles or open your smartphone. I like pages. I'm not going to lie. Grab your Bibles. Uh, we are going to be jumping back into our series, Jesus Is, going through the Gospel of John. Um, I feel like this has been such a rich series. I've been challenged and uh, encouraged and blessed very much in this series. This is week 32. Um, So we're basically like a little over a third of the way through the Gospel of John, which is pretty rad, but um, we've been kind of going slow through this. Uh, I think we spent five weeks in chapter eight. Um, There's a lot there. Um, Today is going to be a little different. Uh, today, we're going to go through the entire ninth chapter of John. Okay, a little different than taking five weeks to get through a chapter. Today, we're going to go through the entire ninth chapter. Um, and this is kind of a fun portion of the Gospel of John because we're getting to some of these longer narratives where like the narrative takes the entire chapter and you kind of have to look at it from one big block where it doesn't make as much sense. Okay, so yeah, so we'll be, uh, we'll be able to pick up the pace a bit here, um, which is exciting, but... You with me this morning? Great. Great. Thanks, Sam. All right, so John chapter 9. Before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Again, I just don't ever want to be a man who um, moves on from your grace for me. Thank you for your grace. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to give us ears to hear this morning. Give us eyes to see you more clearly. Uh, Just point us to Jesus. That's our prayer every single Sunday. Point us to Jesus. I know that's what you're about, um, so I know that you'll answer it yes. Um, Point us to Jesus. Would you help me to serve and love my friends and my family in this room? Uh, We want, we want to be encouraged. We want, um, we want to encounter you through your word. This is not just like study and teaching time. This is like we want to be with you. So reveal yourself to us, please. We love you dearly. In your holy and beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so John chapter nine, 41 verses, buckle up. Um, So I'm gonna read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit, that kind of thing, okay? So John chapter nine, starting in verse one. Let's do it. As he, the he there is Jesus, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responds here in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Okay, pause for just a second. These disciples of Jesus, okay, they assumed something. They assumed something. They assumed that suffering, okay, pain, suffering, evils, suffering is always associated with sin, That's the assumption that they're making, okay? So they're basically like, who's being punished here? This guy's blind. He was born blind, right? 
And everybody must have known him. Um, so this, this, this man born blind, who's being punished? Him for his sins or his parents? Again, that's their, they give birth to a blind child, right? So who's being punished? The, 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 the blind man or the parents? And it's interesting because I think this is really common. This kind of mentality is really common, like even today, even nowadays, right? And, and how do I know this? People tend to get shocked when pain and suffering comes. It's like, whoa, like what happened here? Like there, people are shocked. And I think for me pastorally, a very typical, not, not all the time, but a very typical response to suffering is something like this, like, oh, what did I do to deserve this? This is awful. What did, I, what did I do to deserve this? Essentially, it's kind of the same question that these disciples are asking Jesus. Essentially, what these disciples are asking Jesus is like, what's the cause of the suffering? They want to know, what's the cause of the suffering? Before we jump back into the scriptures here, I just want to take a moment and like, like caution you for just a second, okay? And here's what I want to caution you with. That question... Who caused this? Who, who's God, like, who's being punished? Well, what's the cause? That question is not coming through the lens of a Christian worldview. It's not coming through the lens of a Christian worldview. That question is based on karma, not Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. Um, you guys are familiar with karma? Yeah? Okay, so karma, what karma does, karma says um, that you always get what you deserve. No matter what. Like, you always get what you deserve. So if you're good good things will come your way, right? If you're good, good things will come your way. If you do bad, bad things will come your way. You tracking with me? That's karma, okay? Here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is the complete opposite of that. Christianity is the complete opposite. It's based on something called grace, which grace is the best thing ever. It's the most powerful force in the entire universe. Christianity is based on grace, and grace is is getting what you do not deserve, right? So, A Christian worldview says this, like lenses through which you see the world, you see reality, you define what is true. A Christian worldview says this, I have done bad. Absolutely, I've done bad and I deserve bad. Absolutely. But God graciously offers me forgiveness and love despite what I deserve. You with me? So karma asks questions like this, why do bad things happen to good people? But Christianity asks a different question. Christianity asks, why do good things happen to bad people? Very different worldviews. Completely, honestly, in opposition to each other. Okay? And here's the thing. The answer to that question, why do good things happen to bad people? Hear me say this. The answer to that question is the best news in the entire world. It's the best news in the entire world. And some of you need to hear this this morning, okay? So pastorally and lovingly, I want to be able to share with you God's goodness and his grace, hear me say this, his goodness and his grace are not dependent on how good or bad you are. I'm going to say that again. His goodness, his grace is not dependent on how good you are or how bad you are. Like, you can't change him. He's unchanging. He's stubbornly loving and just and gracious and kind and patient and faithful. He's not going to change because you had a really good day or a really bad day. He's God, the king of the universe. Okay, so Jesus' disciples here, they're thinking karma. 
They're thinking karma. This man's blind. Who sinned? Like, whose sin here is being punished? What's the cause? But did you notice, Jesus doesn't answer by revealing the cause of the suffering. He responds to them, but he does not answer by revealing the cause of the suffering. He responds by revealing its purpose. Did you catch it? Sometimes Jesus answers our questions, our inquiries, in ways that we don't think he's going to. He responds by revealing its purpose. What does he say? He says, this came about so that God's works might be displayed. So hear me say this, okay? If you're in a season right now where it's really hard, like you are, you are living in suffering, you are living in pain. If you're suffering right now and you're asking this question, what did I do to deserve this? Hear me say this, please. You're asking the wrong question. Because that question's based on karma. I promise I'm going to get back into the Bible. (laughs) Um, How many of you guys enjoyed math in school? Like 5% of the room. How many of you did not enjoy math in school? Okay. Like algebra. You guys remember taking algebra? Has most people in the room, there's a lot of students in the room too. Has most people taken algebra in school yet? You know, you kind of know what I'm talking about. X, you know. 40 plus 1,000 minus 80 divided by 2 equals X, right? So algebra. Now, do you remember when you would take exams for algebra or exams for math and you'd be given this this equation, right? And the answer to that equation is always something simple like X equals 7, right? But if you remember, you'd have this, um, you'd have the equation and then you'd have a bunch of blank space, to answer something that has a simple answer. Why'd they give you so much blank space? To show your work. Do you remember this? Your teacher wanted you to show how you came to that conclusion, not just that you saw X equals seven on like Timmy's paper, you know? (laughs) So you have that blank space there to show your answer. How you actually got to that conclusion. Listen to me. God is always working. He is always doing something. We talked about this a couple weeks. His agenda is to renew everything. Things are not the way they're supposed to be because of sin. And his agenda is to make things the way they were supposed to be, the way he created them to be, the way he designed them to be. He wants to bring his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his way. Okay, that's what his desire is. So he's always working in every situation. So to display who he is and what he's like, that he's gracious, he's kind, he's powerful, he's good, he's just, He's loving. The Bible goes as far as to say that God actually is love. That's more than just an attribute. It's something he is. He was always working to declare and to display what he is really like. In any situation, God doesn't give cheap answers to the problems of suffering that you and I face. He doesn't just go X equals seven. He doesn't give cheap answers. He shows his work. He doesn't give cheap answers to what he's like. He actually displays it. He shows his work. He doesn't just say X equals seven. He shows you why. He doesn't just say that he's good or loving. He shows you why. Not just with his words, but with his actions. Jesus said, this came about so that God's works might be displayed. Let's see how. Verse four. I love this part. Jesus says this, this is his words. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, really quickly. I love that it it says we there. 
in verse 4. We. Do you know what that we means? It means he includes us. He says, we, excuse me, we, plural, must do the works that, of him who sent me, that's God the Father. So Jesus has this, this work that he's doing, right? Which is what? To display what he's like, to usher in his kingdom. And he includes us in that work. It's beautiful. Okay, verse six, let's keep going. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. Jesus, God just spit, just so you know. Uh, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud, the mud on the blind man's eyes. Verse seven. Like really, <laughs> can you just picture this? This is kind of bizarre. He spits in the mud, or he spits in the dirt, makes mud, and rubs it on the blind guy's eyes. Okay? I don't have commentary on that. That's just what happened. Verse 7. <clears throat> and Jesus says this, Go, he told him. So he's giving him instructions. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he, the blind man, left, washed, and came back seeing. Now, Notice the blind guy here, he doesn't even pursue Jesus. It's not like other stories where he's like, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't even pursue Jesus here. He doesn't even ask Jesus to heal him. Like, friends, who initiated this interaction? Jesus. Jesus, he, inter- he initiated this reaction. In the very first verse, did you see it? It said that Jesus saw him, right? It says that he saw the blind man. He could have just walked right past him. How often do we see people in need and we go, legitimately, I got a lot going on. They're probably gonna ask me for money. Uh, I'm gonna walk right past them. I don't say that to condemn you. I'm just saying like there's a reality. We can see people, we can notice. We can even have, like kind of like feel bad in our hearts, which is like, I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down for that. I passed a dude this week, and I'm like, I I don't have time. That sounds awful, but it's true. But he says that he saw this man. He could have walked right past him, but he didn't. Listen, again, if you're in a season of suffering, friend, you need to know God sees you the same way that he sees this man. He sees you with compassion. Do you hear me say that? Some of you are in the middle of it. Some of you are in the middle of it and you don't even know it because you won't allow yourself to actually go there. Sweep it on the rug, keep on trucking. You need to know that God sees you with eyes, with compassion in your suffering, in your discomfort, in your, in, uh, in your situation. So Jesus, he engages the man, right? He rubs this like spit mud into his eyes, um, and then he gives him instructions. He says, go wash off the mud spit. I just rubbed your eyes. But he gives him instructions. And then what does the man do? He, he obeys. He does what Jesus tells him to do. He does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. And the result was what? He sees for the very first time in his life. Okay, we can look at this stuff and go, oh man, Jesus just healed this blind guy and gave him sight. That's awesome. Put yourself in the story for just a second how radical that must be for that guy. Imagine not being able to see anything your whole life. I'm gonna get chills. And you can see. 
Have you ever seen those YouTube videos where the kids that, that are born deaf, they like, they, they medically are able to correct their hearing to where for the first time in their life they start hearing? Have you seen these, dude? This isn't in my notes. This is like, these little girls, they have like the hearing aid and what they do is they turn off the hearing aid and they, they do something else. I don't know. Robbie might know. <laughs> uh, they do something else to, 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 to correct the hearing and for the first time in this little girl's life, like she can hear and she just starts weeping. Like, imagine what this would have been like for this man. Verse eight. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. I love this. He kept saying, I'm the one. It's me. (laughs) Verse 10. So they asked him, uh, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when, so when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. So this guy's neighbors, they noticed the change in the guy. They see that he's different. They observe that he is different. And they're like, isn't, isn't that the blind guy? Like, but that guy can see and he's, isn't that him? <clears throat> and he's like, yeah, it's me, you know. So they ask him what happens and he's like, I had this encounter with this guy, Jesus. And it's, he gives him a testimony. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know where I'm going with this. He simply just shared with, shares with them his encounter with Jesus. A testimony of, I, I had this encounter with Jesus. This is what happened. He's giving a report. He's giving a testimony, right? So Christian, listen to me. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. Do not underestimate the power of you simply telling people what Jesus has done for you. Frankly, there's probably more power in that than what I'm doing right now. And imagine if this room full of amazing, wonderful people just semi-regularly told people a lot about the things that Jesus has done for you. You just gave a simple testimony. You didn't answer the mysteries of the universe. I had this encounter with this guy, Jesus, and like, my life's different, man. Did you know that you're the world's leading expert on your encounter with Jesus? Like, no one's better at it than you. All right. Verse 13. They, those are the neighbors, right? His, his neighbors. They brought the man who was blind, who used to be blind, to the Pharisees. Verse 14. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath, a day of rest, right? Then the Pharisees asked him, the blind man, again, how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath, okay, religion. Uh, But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. So the guy's neighbors, they bring the man to the religious leaders, right? And then he tells the man who was blind, he tells the religious leaders now his testimony. I had this encounter with Jesus, but they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus, so they questioned the man. Verse 17. 
Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. So the man knows that there's something special about Jesus, okay? He knows there's something special about Jesus, but he doesn't believe he's God yet. Keyword there, yet. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe this about him, the man, the blind man, that he, was, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. So they call the guy's parents. Verse 19, they asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but... We don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they were what? Afraid of the Jews. When it says Jews there, it's talking about the religious leaders, okay? Since the Jews, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, had already agreed, listen to this, that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, as the Messiah, the Savior, he would be banned from the synagogue, okay? So think like... Think about your entire community rejecting you. It's not just like, hey, you can't, you can't come to the church gathering anymore. That's not what's happening here. Anybody who confesses Jesus as the Messiah, they've, they had already made up their mind before this that anybody who did that, you're out, of our, you're out of our clique. You're out of our community. We don't want to be friends with you anymore. Okay? So just consider the reality of that. Verse 23. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They're afraid, right? Verse 24. So a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind and told him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I love this, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? This is great. You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? (laughs) Verse 28. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Verse 30. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to them. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Really quick. So this guy, he's like, Jesus is clearly from God, and yet you, the religious leaders, say you don't know where he's from. So the people that should know the most about God, what he's like, what he's up to, this guy's like, Jesus is clearly from God, and you guys say you don't know where he's from. In other words, I love this, the man who was blind is now pointing out the blindness in them. Do you see this? Verse 34, their reply, You were born entirely in sin. That's not a Christian worldview. They replied, and you are trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Remember the difference between karma and Christianity? 
You're blind because you were born in sin. No. And then, then in the response, you're trying to teach us? Classic religious move. Classic religious move. Who are you to teach me? I can talk crap on these Pharisees. I do the same thing. Typically, it happens with my wife. She's in kids this morning. And here's how it looks for me. My wife, in grace and in love, will confront me with something I'm blind to about myself. And instead of receiving that, my response is typically, not typically, my response historically and even sometimes in my worst moments is, wait a second, you're the one that's blind. You do, but you do this. Point out my sin, but you're a sinner. In other words, who are you to tell me? So I, we can make fun of these Pharisees. I don't know about you, I need grace and forgiveness for the exact same thing. So, if you ever find yourself in a similar place, can I just caution you, watch out. Be very, very careful because there are few things more dangerous than pride. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. Okay, remember, so he gets kicked out. Jesus, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out and when he found him, I love that word, when he found him, So Jesus seeks the guy out again. He's not trying to find Jesus. Jesus comes to him again. When he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Um, Son of Man is like the special title for the Messiah, the Savior. Basically, it means it's like the special Savior who reveals God to man. God and human, we're made in the image of God, but he's different than us. Can we all agree with that? So Jesus is God, the Son of Man. He's, he's, he's God revealed to man. He's a Savior. Uh, so Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? Verse 41, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Okay, that's the story. Um, whenever we read anything in the Bible, a really, really good question to ask is why is this in the Bible? Why is this here? So why is this story in the Bible? Um, Well, this story teaches us a lot about what God is like. Um, It teaches us a lot about what people are like. But it also teaches us a lot about blindness. That blindness, it's not limited to the physical Blindness can be spiritual. And listen, I want to be, I, I want to speak candidly, but I want to be very like sensitive here. Like it's dangerous to be blind, wouldn't you say? Like legitimately, like if you can't see, like there's, there, there's, there's danger there. 
The same thing's true spiritual, spiritually speaking. Blindness is not limited to the physical. It can be spiritual. And here's the thing. Spiritual blindness is not a rare condition. It's not a rare condition. It's something that everybody's born with. But it's also something that Jesus came to heal once and for all. Um, When I talk about spiritual blindness, what am I talking about? I'm talking about being blind to the truth about God. You with me? That's spiritual blindness, okay? So really quickly, I'm almost done. I want to go through these, these three things fast, but we see three things from this story that have the power to keep a person spiritually blind. Three things. I'm going to go through them fast, okay? First one is this, pain and suffering. Pain and suffering, it has the power to keep a person spiritually blind. So whether it's physical blindness, suffering, like this guy was experienced, or it was maybe it's relational conflict. Maybe it's, maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's loss of health. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's wounds. You guys know what wounds are, right? It's when you come in contact with the sins of other people and it hurts. Every person in this room is wounded. So, whether it's physical blindness or a plethora of other ways we can suffer, so many people So many people that I come in contact with, they believe the lie that God can't be good and he can't be loving and he can't be powerful because there's suffering in the world. This isn't primarily a message on suffering, um, just frankly due to time. If you want to deep dive into this, that kind of a a question, um, I preached on this. uh, We did a series called Behold on like worship. And I taught on um, how suffering deceives us. If you want to have a more specialized thing, you can listen back to that. But hear me say this. Suffering, it can deceive us. It can blind us. It can keep us blind to the truth about God. Let me read you a quote. Um, Tim Keller, uh, OG Yoda pastor from New York City. He wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I'm going to read you a quote. Actually, two quotes from it. He says this, quote, the problem is that contemporary people, that's us, think life is all about finding happiness. We decide what conditions will make us happy, and then we work to bring those conditions about. To live for happiness means that you are trying to get something out of life. But when suffering comes along, it takes the conditions for happiness away. So suffering destroys all your reason to keep living. But to live for meaning means not that you try to get something out of life, but rather that life expects something from us. In other words, you have meaning only when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness, something for which you are glad to sacrifice your happiness. Every parent in the room knows knows exactly what I'm talking about. And then he goes on to say this. If you have a God infinite and powerful enough for you to be angry at for allowing evil, then you must at the same time have a God infinite enough to have sufficient reasons for allowing that evil. And Jesus tells us at least one in this story. Remember? The reason. This came about so that God's works might be displayed. Friends, the truth is, I'm going to, Try to go through this quickly. The truth is suffering exists because sin entered the world. 
But that's not the end of the story. Something more powerful than sin entered the world. Guess what his name was? Jesus. Way more powerful than sin. And he came to suffer, to ultimately get rid of suffering. And sadly, because of suffering, far too many people are blind to the truth about God. That's the first thing. Okay, the second thing we see here in this, in this story that has the power to keep a person spiritually blind is fear. Remember the, the guy's parents, right? In the story, they get summoned and they totally wuss out, essentially. What were they afraid of? Do you remember? I heard... Yeah, religious leaders, Pharisees, yeah. They're, they're afraid of the religious leaders. Hear me say this, at the core of fear is reverence. At the core of fear is reverence. So, so, so what you revere the most, okay? So you could say that fear is what you hold in highest regard. And whatever that is, whatever that is, is the single greatest influence on how you will live your life. So, whether it's fear of man, fear of people, like the parents, right? Whether it's fear of man, whether it's fear of failure. That's historically been my story, fear of failure. Or whether it's fear of death. You will take marching orders from what you fear the most, from what you revere the most. You with me? Okay, the third and final thing that we see here that has the power to keep a person spiritually blind is pride. And I think this is the worst one. So, these religious leaders, right, these Pharisees, like, they were clearly prideful here, right? I mean, their, their arrogance, their defensiveness, remember what they said? Who are you to tell me? Who are you to teach us? Pride Pride is an overemphasis on and an overelevating of self. Overemphasis on me, overelevating of me, that's pride. And oftentimes, here's the crappy thing about pride it's so hard to see in yourself. It's so hard to see. You don't recognize it. Let me read you something really quick. Jeff V. Cook, in his book on the seven deadly sins, says this quote, pride is not thinking too much of your, or, sorry, I'm going to say that, start over. Pride is not thinking too much of myself. Pride is thinking of myself far too much. John Tyson in his book, the, the Burden is Light, says this, quote, Pride turns us away from our created purpose. Pride distorts our vision, <laughs> blindness, right? Pride distorts our vision so that we fail to see life as it is, Instead, living under the childish delusion that the world is centered on us. Prideful living, this is gnarly, is conformity to the image of Satan. Pride is when God is not the functional center of your life because you are. And pride is especially dangerous because not only does it blind us from seeing God, (laughs) 
but most of the time we don't see it in ourselves. So we're blind to the very thing that blinds us. That's what I, when I say like pride might be the worst, most dangerous one, that's why. You know when you're suffering, you know when you're afraid, you rarely know when you're filled with pride. And it will keep you spiritually blind to seeing God for who he is. Okay, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. I'll drink some water. You with me? Okay. We're doing good on time. Okay, so all three of those things I just shared with you, suffering, fear, pride, they all have one thing in common, right? They all have one thing in common. They blind people from truly seeing Jesus. They blind people from truly seeing Jesus. And here's what you need to know. This is, this is foundational, fundamental to Christianity, okay? Stay with me. Jesus, more than anything else, reveals to us what God is like. Like Colossians chapter one, right? Talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, more than anything else, reveals to us what God is like. So if we, you and I, if anybody, if we're blind to Jesus, we're blind to the truth about God. And remember the math homework, right? Remember the math homework. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God showing his work, of showing what he's like. Here's what I mean. So how do we know that God is good? Primarily, we know because of Jesus, Okay, how do we know that God's compassionate? Primarily we know because of Jesus, okay? He saw the blind man. He saw him in his suffering. And what did he do? He initiated an encounter. He came to him. How do we know that God is compassionate, Jesus? How do we know that God is powerful? Like, how do we know he's powerful? Jesus, he healed this guy's blindness. First physically and then spiritually. how do we know that God's patient? You know the answer, hopefully. Jesus, right? We know that God is patient because of Jesus. His disciples, like the most Christian people around, his disciples, what are they doing? They're viewing the, they're viewing the world through the lens of karma. And yet he doesn't give up on them. He's not like, okay, New disciples, these guys are not following me. No, he's patient with them. How do we know that God's gracious? I want to hear you say it. Thank you. Jesus, absolutely. Think about it. Jesus, do you know he spoke the world into existence? He's in heaven, right? Sitting on his throne. Like the Father and the Spirit glorifying him for all of eternity, angels worshiping him constantly. Jesus leaves heaven. He left that. Why? To reconcile you to God and to reconcile me to God. He gave that up and he didn't have to. He did not have to. He, he could have left everything broken. He'd be like, wow, the human race really jacked things up. Like, Sorry, guys. And he wouldn't have been any less good. 
people hurting each other. Like, okay, like, you guys messed up, man. He didn't have to leave, man. He could have been like, you made your bed, now you have to lie in it, but he doesn't. He leaves his throne. How do we know that God's loving? Jesus. John 3, 16, right? Classic verse. The historical kind of rendering of it, the translation is for God so loved the world. It's a poor translation straight up because that word so, it can kind of be confusing. It really means it's for God loved the world in this way. This is how he loved the world. This is how he displayed his love. This is how he shows his love. What does it say? For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. Verse 17 is just as epic. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How do we know that he's loving? What is our guarantee? Listen to this. What is our guarantee that God actually is loving? The cross. The cross, man. Jesus suffered. So he can identify with you. In any kind of suffering, he knows, what it, he knows what it feels like. He's not distant. He suffered to ultimately end suffering forever. Like he died to ultimately end death forever. He died to kill death. Guys, it's like the math problem, man. It's like the math problem. Jesus is God showing his work. us to see the truth about God. When we look at Jesus, we can see the truth about God. In other words, Jesus is, that's the series, right? Jesus is the giver of sight. So here's the question for each of us this morning, myself included. I'm right there with everybody in the room, okay? The question for us this morning is, do you and I have eyes to see? blinded by suffering, blinded by fear, or blinded by pride. Will you stand with me if you're able? I really want to pray for us. I'm just going to listen for a bit and see if God wants to highlight anything and then pray, Okay. picture of a salad <laughs> but then I saw a picture of like taking one or two ingredients out of the salad once it's been given to you um, and I feel like I feel like God's highlighting this idea of like picking and choosing things that we like or dislike about Jesus is still being spiritually blind so like I like that he was compassionate I don't like that he was like he spoke the truth Jesus as though somehow like we're a higher authority 
also get a picture of like, um, like that salad being delivered into like a restaurant, you know? So you have like a waiter and um, he's not looking for who ordered it. He's seeking people out this morning, I feel like. I feel like he's coming for you in a beautiful way. He's coming to your table. He's seeking you out because he sees you in your suffering. He sees you in your pain. He sees you afraid. And he actually sees you in your pride. Yet he sees you with compassion and with grace, not condemnation. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He sees you with delight in his eyes. Despite the suffering, despite the pain, despite the fear and lack of trusting him, despite the pride. And he's asking us this morning the same question he asked the blind man, guys. Do you believe? Do you trust in the son of man? Do you trust in Jesus over the suffering? Do you trust in Jesus over the fear? Do you trust in Jesus even more than the self? Because his word says if we do, he will heal our spiritual blindness. That's our prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would heal our spiritual blindness every day. When we wake up in the morning, we're disoriented and there's a whole life out in front of us. That we would trust in you you say to be true. Jesus, you're the king of the universe. Suffering is not. You get the final word. Let us be men and women who give you the final word. Not our circumstances, not even our emotions, but you and you alone. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. Solidify that in our hearts so that we can be men and women. Um, don't fall prey to spiritual blindness. And we can experience the fantastic joy that this man who got healed experienced. I love that he didn't give a rip about what the Pharisees thought about him. Let us be people who genuinely in love don't care about what people think about us. Free. Free to love them, serve them, and love you and serve you, God. Would you transform us into those kind of people by helping us see Jesus clearly. We love you. We pray these things in your name.